Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. There are students everywhere. Spatial awareness is at an all-time low, in my opinion, um, which is implying that students don't know how to walk in a linear fashion and continue walking. And when you abruptly stop, you should probably weave your way out of the, the main thoroughway or... Uh, perhaps make a smaller amount of space, and if you're traveling in two or greater groups, to disband. Is there it, an app for that? It's uh, it's called the AK-47. <laughs> it's extremely uh, proficient, I guess. I don't know. Students everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And I'm not sure what to say, Harry. Were you assaulted at all when you were walking in? Yeah, someone someone bumped into me from behind when I when I stopped Where's your to, wallet? To, to talk to someone. Uh, <laughs> and then... And then it was really annoying. Joel and I were walking down the sidewalk, the two of us side by side in a very limited pathway, and someone was just railing at us from behind, asking us to move. But yeah. we, were, we were having a pleasant two kilometer an hour stroll. We were moving. Two kilometer an hour. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, students are back. and uh, Support CFRU. You should be supporting CFRU. Apparently the vote already happened. Give so us money. <laughs> if you already voted, then congratulations. If you haven't, um, pay me. You should be paying us. I don't know. We don't have a Patreon, so if you just want to give us a give us an envelope with cash, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just leave it. Just leave it at the at the station. And say like to Android's Dungeon. Yeah, it's and then illegal. Brackets, Joel Bryant. <laughs> <laughs> Harry, do you want in? You want in on this? Yeah, this is public radio. Well, I mean, doesn't mean that we can't get a taste. <laughs> you remember the, in crime movies how they always make uh, so the crooked cops always have the fresh cop out on the on the beat, and then when they they rob the drug dealers, they always make sure he takes some of the money, just oh, yeah. so it's like you're in on this now. You, there's no backing out. We've yeah. got you. Do uh, do you know if publishers do like sponsored? Board. I was going to say, like, listen They up. must provide board game. Yeah. I know they do. Game like, developers. It's, it's actually, because Joel and I were talking about this, and we're going to get into this in a second, but uh, uh, I guarantee once you hit a certain level of popularity, I don't know what the threshold we're at is. It. We're, we're obviously there. We're way listen, beyond Listen, game it. developers, if yeah. you bribe us, we will not, and I'm winking Joel. right now. Give you a positive review. It's not bribing. It's <laughs> called incentivized, uh, I, I don't know, watching. Surprise mechanics. Surprise mechanics. Um, I, majority of these guys, I guarantee, do not. Like, do you think Tom Bassel has bought a board game in? <laughs> Lucky guy. He, I, I wish know. I had a fancy suit and could talk fast. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had one of his like twenty multicolored hats to yeah. wear. <laughs> I think Don Cherry and Tom Vassell have like conversations Same. about what they're going to wear. <laughs> I I think Don. I don't know if Tom Vassell's aware of Don Cherry's existence, but I'm pretty sure there'd be some sort of like g- galactic calamity if the two ever got too close <laughs> to each other. Kind of like black hole yeah. and black hole, but. Actually, I'm quite fond of both, so I, either way, I don't care. But. Well, Harry and I saw Tom live. Just wanted to remind you that. Yeah, what was that like, the Dice Tower? How many people were there? Oh, you mean in the audience? Yeah. Probably like 400 Incredible. in the audience. It was huge. You can pull them in, man. I left early to get food. Yeah, yeah it was uh, It was all right. <laughs> Nothing special. What did they talk about? Did they do one of their top 10 lists live? Uh, they did. They did a top ten list live. They did some like game show stuff. They talked about board games that they saw at Gen Con. I found that interesting. They talked mm-hmm. about like board games that uh, they were interested in in the exhibit hall and that they would recommend. Yeah. Um, they talked about new releases, but Gen Con's not big for new releases. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they had like a rolling, uh, rolling guest of uh, developers that wanted to talk about their future projects. Yeah, and like a lot of them, they looked okay. Matt. I would say if if you're if you're looking for if you're looking for a board game podcast, you should check out Android's Dungeon. <laughs> yeah, always <laughs> objective, <laughs> always right. <laughs> Never drunk or motto. angry or anything. <laughs> always objective, always right. Yeah. Um, speaking of Simon, uh, before we get into our standard spiel, somebody was talking about how because Simon has this incredible library of games. They call it the Vault, and some of them are out of uh, print at the moment. And they're running these Kickstarters right now for a couple of games. Or maybe it's the you can hop back in on some previous Kickstarters. Because Simon is kind of infamous in the community for running these borderline predatory Kickstarters. And I, and I like their games. I, I do like a lot of their games. But at the same time, I think when you're as company as big as Simon, do you really need to do another Kickstarter for your, your latest game? I think you're good. But whatever. Um, they're running a an opportunity to you could people were talking about how you can put a dollar in because for a lot of kickstarters that's like oh I'm on the fence so I'm gonna put a dollar in and if I feel like I can upgrade my pledge later at the end hmm. 
Simon was uh, one of the appeals was you could back put a dollar in theoretically and then you could when it comes time later a lot of companies are doing this kickstars is you can buy other games at the end as like an addition to your pledge so for example Martin Wallace's Struggle of Empires just finished more or less its kickstarter and the uh, uh, they do the survey the, to like adjust what you're you're doing and do shipping charge you an arm and a leg for it and But at the bottom of it, for example, there were about three or four different games you could have picked up from previous in the catalog. And if you don't have them before you're interested, like, here's your opportunity. You can get them. Sounds meet. a lot like shopping with extra steps. It, it is, sort of. It's like, you know, you get to the, the, the counter, and then they've got the magazines and the candy and the, and <laughs> yeah. the other stuff. Oh, I mean, huh. the, whole, the whole, like, Kickstarter economy for board games is because board game publishers don't want to distribute and sell them online yeah. but they still want to give people a way to buy directly so like they make more money yeah exactly it's we've we've talked about this so many times on the show uh, there are good kickstarters which are for games that would never no publisher is going to take a risk on and you nobody you can't reasonably self-publish this uh, unless you want to become another glory to rome a victim uh, out there but there are companies and this is when you get into the bigger ones like let's say maybe we can thank him for this stone mirror games like he doesn't. He should not be kickstarting anything ever again. Yeah. Um, he isn't. Yeah, and I don't think he will until. Well, I don't know. We'll see what happens with Tapestry. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but anyway, so Simon was doing this thing with the vault, and you're allowed to hop in. But apparently, they've done something where it's not enough. You can't just put the dollar in, and at the end, you, like, do you want to buy the games? No. Okay. Well, here's the rest of them. You can jump in on. They're apparently saying you have to go in at the two hundred and forty dollar pledge. To have access to buy other games in the catalog or well, the back catalog. That's just two games for them, fortunately. <laughs> yeah, <they're>, well, they, <laughs> you joke, but how expensive are Simon games, right? Yeah. So, anyway, that was just uh, you, you mentioned it and it happened, and I just thought it felt like I had to say something about it. But uh, somebody's got to say something. someone's got to say something. Anyway, uh, Android Dungeon is a show about games and movies and music and whatever. And uh, Harry, what have you been playing recently? Uh, actually, I've been playing a lot of Reef. I know I've been playing a lot of games we talked about before on the show. So Reef is kind of an old one. Came out in yeah, 2018. Do a quick rundown on this guy. So Reef's a really basic game. Each player has a four by four grid board in front of them, and then there's a central supply of these cute little plastic uh, coral reef pieces. They're colored. They're different shapes. There's four different kinds, <clears throat> and then there's a deck of cards. And on the deck of cards, there's two halves. The first half lets you place coral pieces of different colors. And the bottom half lets you score for having certain arrangements of coral pieces. So the top might let you place a purple and a yellow anywhere on your board. And the bottom might give you points for having three green coral pieces in a row. Uh, And that's basically the game. You put the coral pieces anywhere you want. You can stack them. They stack really nicely. Um, And it's kind of like a sequencing game where you're trying to play your cards and maximize your points. Mm -hmm. Super simple, easy to teach. It's... Yeah, one of the key things is that what you get at the top will never help you score at the bottom. Right. So you're always trying to play a card so and score points so that the next card you play... You're trying to like play a card to place two greens so that the next card you play will score you points for the greens. And mm-hmm. they never give you greens and then score points for greens. I think when we did our top ten list last year of like the, the best one? games, um, it, I don't think it was my number one. Maybe yeah. it was like number one I new was game, shocked. wasn't it? Yeah, number one new game. Number one new game because it was just it struck me as an instant classic in that it it, it was it's constant interesting decisions as far as I'm concerned. It's so pretty and it it's just if there has to be a game that I think I the word uh, the description I used was that every classroom should have a copy yeah, of Reef because mm-hmm. it's just perfect for that sort of stuff. It's not too dumb, it's not too smart. It's just right in the middle for right sure. there. And uh, it makes me feel dumb. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. it, it's yeah. so I find it extremely anxiety-inducing because you're you're trying to balance, like Harry was saying, you're trying to put these reef pieces down, but you're also trying to score things. So you're try, you're constantly juggling, and you've also got this tiny market row that's available to you for cards that you're picking up, and you're looking at them saying, okay, well, if I, I in two turns, if I build it up like this, I can combo into that, then I combo into this, and then Harry takes the card I need, and I'm like, okay, it's not over yet, yeah, <laughs> and then Kale takes the other plan. card, then it's yeah. done. <laughs> so it's an yeah. incredible game. Great. If, if you've got a bunch of points that score a certain color and yeah. you get choked out of that color because there's just nothing in the lineup. And that's it, too. The game has oh. a habit of ending right when you don't want it to end, too. <laughs> like, you're usually one one thing away from your master stroke, and then you're screwed. The game ends when a color runs out, right? Two colors? The ga- or game one? ends when the first color runs first out. First color, yeah. yeah. It's something else. Really, really good. Um, and 
fairly inexpensive. It's you're you're definitely not paying an arm and a leg for it. Uh, I bought it in the U.S. while we were at Gen Con while it was on sale. That's why I bought it this year. Yeah. Um, even though it came out last year, um, so I don't know what the MSRP is, but I think we got ours at a 401 sale uh, yeah, around Christmas time or something. Thirty something, not which bad. is perfectly nice. reasonable for something like this. Anything else, Harry? Uh, I've been playing some Wingspan, which we've talked about before as well. Yep. I I kind of. I think it's growing on me. Interesting. Which is interesting. I loved the first game, and then I kind of was thinking that this game might not have as deep strategy as I thought, but yep. then I've been playing a lot more games, and uh, it's getting there. One of the criticisms sure. I've heard is the egg rush. Is it is it real? Uh, yeah, the egg rush is very real. What's this? Uh, so I think it's I like... start doing it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it's kind of... I think <clears throat> what people mean by the egg rush is just that um, there is so much... So there are so many more points that you can get from just, like, spamming the lay eggs action mm. towards the end of the game. Up to the um, limit of your birds. Yeah, exactly. And so to that point, it's, like, you have relatively few actions in the game. Um, and there is kind of, like, you, you really want to build up uh, good bird actions on your egg-laying row, which <laughs> is, like, the field row, and then so, just spam it. Quick interruption. This is, again, another absurd-sounding conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You can just adjust the car radio. So there are you really, three ecosystems. You really want to improve your spotted cardinal's ability to lay eggs. Yeah. Oh, man. When you get the vulture. Oh, especially when it's eating worms yes. and it's located in a prairie. Is this actually oh. a real thing? No. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, this game's sounding more uh, like yeah. Bios Origins or something. So you can you can place birds in the forest or like birds that go <clears> in the forest. You can place them in that row and that'll get you food. You place birds in the uh, plains. Yeah, or grasslands. Grasslands, and that'll get you... Eggs. Uh, eggs, because that's where they lay their eggs, I guess. And you can place other words in the wetlands, and that'll get you more birds. You know, the birds land in there, and then more birds scatter <laughs> up into the sky, <laughs> and then you say, hey, that's a cool bird. I want that one. <laughs> so you want to be playing birds into every row, into each of those three rows. Yep. But what ends up happening is that at the end of the game, every egg you have is worth points. So you're really incentivized towards the end of the game to put eggs in the grasslands and then just to take that action every turn mm. to get to really get those eggs. You ever get that bird that's like, if this is the if this is on the right, then you move it? Yes. I love yeah. that bird. I think there are four Basically, of them you just, in the deck. You, you, you play the bird in like the farthest point in the row, uh, and then when it gets to that bird, you get to shift it to wherever you're doing next. <laughs> It improves everything. Do you, th- sure. do you think the game is balanced as it is, or do you think that there's like a future expansion could fix some of the issues? I don't. I don't think it's balanced. That's still my biggest complaint about the game is that there seem like you know there's 150 bird cards or however many there are, uh, and there are birds that seem strictly better than others. The biggest complaint that I have with the game, played a lot of it now. How many games do you have you played? Probably seven games. That's pretty good. Which is which is pretty, pretty good. good. We bought it at Gen Con yeah. uh, in August. And there is a specific type of bird. They're all, I think, ravens, and they let you consume eggs to generate food. So the common raven, you can create, you can spend an egg, and you get to generate two food. And it's just, like, the most efficient action in the game. It's probably the best bird in the game. And, in fact, it's also the only reason that I've ever conceded a game of Wingspan. We've been playing a lot of two-player Wingspan, and I had an instance where Chelsea was able to play a turn two raven, and you just and gave up? I just gave up because I knew it couldn't win. Yep. That sounds busted to me. Are, yeah. are you sure there's no way to come back from that? I mean, it, it's it's a kind of game where they, they really, yeah. they really incentivize you to, like Joel was saying, there's three actions to generate food, lay eggs, and to draw more bird cards. And those three actions are all critical to playing the game. You need food to play more birds. You need to draw bird cards to play more birds. And you need eggs in order to do certain actions and do accrue points by the end of the game. And play birds in the further rows. And to play bir- more birds, like your fifth bird in the prairie, for instance, will cost a lot of eggs. Um, the common raven you can play in the grasslands or prairie, which is the action that lets you lay eggs. And when you take that action, the common raven lets you consume an egg to generate food. So you no longer have a need to ever place birds yeah. in or activate the forest. Like get eggs, get food. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. getting food becomes pointless. And so rather than becoming a game of two environment of three kind of different They've places to play birds, it, it kind of cuts it down to two. Now yeah. it's not as good as like a late game action where you can generate four food with one action. But at the start of the game, to be able to lay like three eggs and use one of the eggs to generate two food, yeah. it becomes. 
it's it's as if you are taking two actions in one. It's very powerful. It, it sounds powerful. Totally. <laughs> and I haven't played the game yet. Can't uh, believe you still haven't played. Yeah, it's it, it you, want, you want to borrow it? I don't know. <laughs> I'm yeah, almost I'm almost happier it. just leaving myself here, just thinking about it. like what, what would it be like to play Wings? <laughs> I wonder. The thing is, like the, the overall action sequence of the game, like we love, like still I've been playing a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really drawn into it. And Sam and I play two player a lot too. And just to jump in, I also played it uh, this weekend. Oh, good. Nice. And uh, I lost. I lost the first game since I taught Sam. She beat me the first time she played. We've played probably about a dozen games since wow. then. Wow. So we've got a bunch of plays in between you two right now. Yeah. And, what uh, are your thoughts on what that? What I did, I, did I, I always buy just the cheapest bird, and I just try to, like, mass everything, just, mm-hmm. like, max it, all, max it out and get, like, the benefit <clears throat> from the board actions instead of the benefits from the birds. Uh, and it, that's been really useful. This time I focused on, there's like a little, you get a bonus at the end of each round if you have the most of something. And I won every single one of those rounds. But Sam bought a bunch of expensive birds, like nine victory point, eight victory point mm-hmm. birds. And I lost. Yeah, it's like, interesting. There are, it seems like there just are different strategies. Yeah, and you do and really well in one strategy for and sure. still lose. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So like 20... 27 point difference in our bird values oh that's pretty <laughs> crazy like, yeah that's insane that's big yeah i know that, like there's no point of reference for jack but well you're just uh, saying the 27 point difference I mean, seems uh, pretty 27 severe. points What's the average total i think in any 70? game 27 point difference i've, I've had a lot of games where i've only had 27 points worth of birds <laughs> yeah that that might uh, give some context yeah now is that just the way things play the specific game or is that always viable that you can buy a bunch of expensive birds at the end of a game if they come up yeah yeah i wouldn't say it's always viable i mean the interesting thing about the game i guess is like it seems like there are some strategies that are not obvious like i think for instance like if you are able to accrue a bunch of birds that generate food or let that let you get food easily and they're present in the forest which is the take food action it becomes a lot more viable to do like a big bird strategy (laughs) you can call it that where like you get a lot of food and you're able to play these super expensive birds that gave you a lot of points interesting yeah and that was in our game actually we both had birds that generated food like everybody gets everybody pick a food from the feeder right so that just allowed her to play into getting all the expensive birds because we all had just a crazy surplus of food cool all right so before we move on from wingspan what are your current if you have to get a letter grade what are you giving it right now after all these plays i think it's on the rise yeah, I think it's on the rise. <laughs> if I had to give it a, uh, I'd probably give it like a B, maybe B plus. Okay, yeah. Joel. Yeah, it's I'm still like unsure, and yeah, I'd give it, I'd give it the same. I'd give it, you know, a B for bird. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> Didn't even think about it. That. <laughs> Excellent, Joel. What have you been playing recently aside from Wingspan? Well, I think you know this, but I I got an opportunity to play John Company over the weekend. Jack Company is what we like to call it. Yeah. <laughs> We drove, we drove <laughs> hellish three hours. I feel maybe maybe four hours. It was four hours to, to guaranteed yeah. total there and back. Two hours to Toronto, as you know, that's how long it takes from Guelph. That's a normal time to spend driving from Guelph to Toronto on a Saturday afternoon. And then and then we drove back. No, it's, it was, then we played some very interesting games uh, taught to us by a very generous host mm-hmm. with uh, uh, two other guys. Yep. And uh, they were all veterans. Some especially were veterans of some the nerdier games there. But yep. uh, got to, like Joel was saying, we got to learn and play John Company, which is a game by <clears throat> Cole Worley and published by Sierra Madre Games, uh, Phil Eklund's company, which is more famous for these kind of, I don't want to call them simulations, but these abstract recreations of real-world sort of uh, events or real-world uh, um, occasions, if that's the way to put it. In this case, it was the British East India Trading Company, uh, which operated as this uh, monolithic empire. Super company. Super company that just did what it wanted. Ran the world. <laughs> ran, the, ran that section of the world for we sure. Ran the world. Uh, John Company. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so you all take on the role of... Um, a, a basically a, a, a dynasty, a family dynasty in this company. And your whole, the entire game is based around promoting, putting family members into positions where they're promoted into the company and they move up through the ranks and eventually retire and they spend their ill-gotten wealth on fancy things like uh, going to a club or going sitting at a bank or... Yeah. And unlike your <clears throat> menial jobs, these jobs were like... 
president of this country. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, uh, you know, you, you've been doing well as a writer. We're going to make you um, in charge of our military. <laughs> that's right. So it, it's this deeply cynical game that's uh, lots of... I think I was complaining about this a little while ago, but a lot of games, and I, I find, turn into they're not necessarily multiplayer solitaire, but you might as well be playing silently because mm. there's there's very little interaction. Whereas John Company is um, the opposite of that, and it's closer to co- what I like about Container and some of these other games, in that you are hustling, you are sh- you are going after people, and in this case, you're actually really trying to persuade them because you can bribe people. Money can exchange uh, hands at any time, yeah. and you've got and favor cubes, yeah. Well, yeah, promises which are basically money but different, and there are people responsible for hiring people and do it all the throughout the company. And there are all these little rules, like you can't promote other people over your own uh, if there are options. And if you do, you have to give them a promise that you're not going to do again later. And then you do it again, you give them another promise, <laughs> and, but it costs you sort of. And there are all these different sections, and you're trying to keep the company afloat because every round the company pays out, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe you decide not to pay dividends, and everyone kind of grumbles a little bit because some people are more overly invested in the yeah. company than you are. And you're trying to keep the various regions of India subjugated because there's this elephant token that moves around from region to region and you chuck some dice and stuff happens based on what uh, is going on there so you're normally a prosperous subjugated region that's very profitable suddenly it revolts <laughs> and then the person in charge of it whether you have a governor or a president all of a sudden it's oh <laughs> they've been fired or forced to retire because suddenly their area doesn't exist <laughs> and there's all these little little bits to this game that are just absolutely fascinating and it is it is extremely front-end loaded though and that God help you if you... Yeah, it's hard to learn from the book. Oh, man. If you slapped that game down and, and said, all right, people, let's sit down and play mm-hmm. a game, you could see the horror. I guarantee yeah. you could see it. I feel like that, that's true for a lot of these, like, I want to call them, like, top-down design games where they, like, have a really good theme and they're designed around that theme. Mm-hmm. But, like, in order to make the rules fit... Oof. But they're not even that bad. It's just... It, I, I compare it to a Vlada game where it's just, like, there's everything right there in front of you. Yep. And it's just daunting. And then all of a sudden you play a round or two, and especially very uh, thankful to uh, Michael for explaining the rules so well. That a great teacher. He, he, as soon as you play a round or two, it, suddenly it makes sense, and everything kind of flows nicely. And th- you have to give the huge, huge um, respect to uh, Whirly's design on this because the board has mm. this great little flow to it where there's this – it's not the prettiest of boards, but it's still functional and nice, but there's this – little flow, ribbon that kind of goes around and basically says shows you what to resolve in what order yeah, what and then you make next. your way around and it's it, uh, really really nice so um, Joel what were your overall thoughts about John Company? Yeah it's just as you were describing the rules I was just thinking about how uh, you know there's basically two games out there there's the, the multiplayer solitaires and the games with, uh, with a take that function hmm. and this is a game that is kind of the opposite because it's semi-cooperative run, trying to run this company there's actually have that function <laughs> that's great it's like i'm going to give you something but you're going to say there's four people in this table and i'm going i have to give this job to somebody yeah who's going to make it worth my while right mm-hmm. either you're going to do something in that position that's going to be favorable to say i got two, a couple captains over here so you're you're going to have to sail those ships in so that i make money or if you don't believe that they're going to do the things they say they're going to do, you can just straight up take money from them right there and say, who's who's giving me the most money to be in charge of shipping this round? Yeah, that's it. Like it's you, <laughs> The only way to make points in this game, aside from one action, which is literally buying vacation homes, buying manors, <laughs> yeah. uh, is you have to retire your people. And you, if you need to have people on the career track to actually retire, and the way retirement works is at the end of every round, there's something called attrition, and you go around, you chuck dice, and um, on the is it? I think it's sixes on. If yeah, if you're a senior, if you're a senior manager, you have to roll a six. Yeah, and if you're in the junior positions, it's a five or a six, is it? Executive. Executive. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, bottom line is that you chuck dice, and if you hit the certain number, your guy's retired, and that gives you the opportunity at that point to spend some of your money to put them in somewhere. So you have this row of cards which are randomly selected every game. And they give you bonuses. So if you put somebody in, not all of them, but if you put them in certain spots, um, they do different things. Like, for example, I was shoving people into the investment bank, which is for every cube there, 
at the end of the attrition round, for every five dollars you have in your treasury, you gain a dollar, and all of a sudden you've you're kind of building this like yeah. engine of cash. The there. investments can't fail. The investments can't fail. The, the investments are great. Uh, there's <laughs> another one every time. Yeah, and they're all thematic too. And the other ones allow you to. Like, Joel used this at one point. I don't know if it mattered this, when you used it. Oh, when I forced them to hire me? You forced them to hire It's like, you, yeah. you, it's like, you like might as well one. call it my uncle's dealership or something. It's like, no, 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 you're promoting this guy instead. <laughs> yeah. But you you move this over to the other side and you can't use it again. But It's like the thing in like a movie where they've got <clears> the guy <throat> in the room and they've captured him. And we go, Finally, we've got you. And then the phone rings. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you're walking out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, his dad's the president. Never mind. Yeah. So without going too much in the detail there, that's kind of the main flow of the game. You're trying to make money, but as Michael, the same person who explained the rules to us, found out very quickly is that you can have all the money in the world. It's not helping you if you can't retire people. And he had people in positions that he was throwing dice at for, I'd say, the whole game. Two-thirds of, if not the yeah. whole game, and he just couldn't get them to retire. And uh, and part of the problem was that, and Joel was talking about this later, is that you could there are, there are strategies to forcibly bungle your position just so you can get yeah. forcibly retired because it costs you a premium, but you're still being retired, so yeah, whatever. if everything goes really badly, you get fired. <laughs> At which point, you that's what you wanted anyway. You yeah. just have to pay a little extra money. All while trying to keep the company afloat, unless you don't want it to go afloat because you're ahead and you're like, oh, I'm going to tank the company and I'm not in charge because if you're in charge and the company tanks, it's a huge black mark on you and you lose VP. But there's me, a lot going on. Let me take a stab at the theme of the game for Harry. So... At the beginning of the round, uh, we purchase ships. Then we purchase goods or guns. Then those goods or guns are placed, and those ships are placed in provinces. Okay. And then each of those provinces rolls to try to conquer that province or another province, mm-hmm. to open trade with another province where they like send an envoy, or to sail, which is basically just sending your ships there, dropping off and picking up goods and making money. Okay. You spend a combination of money and either ships or resources or uh, admirals or guns in order to roll that many dice. And there's a little chart in the back that tells you how likely you are to succeed based off of how many dice you roll. So let's say, for example, you spend a whole bunch and you get five dice. All you need is any one or any two. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You roll all those dice into a tower. If you get a one or a two, you did it. Succeed. If you get a three or four, nothing happens. It's okay. like, uh, you failed, but it's fine. Okay. You roll all fives and sixes. <laughs> you're <fire>. incompetent. <laughs> Ooh, sounds punishing. So if you roll one or two dice, yeah. you're really risking your career. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, That's interesting. And there's yeah. budgeting, too. Like, I don't know if this was mentioned, but you're, the president of the company, the chairman, is responsible for assigning wealth gained from the company and yeah, putting he gets to stu- do all the spending. Yeah, so that's when hustling comes in too because all of a sudden every single section needs money. Joel yeah. has lots of ships, shipyards and he's saying, "Okay, well, make sure you budget some money so people can buy ships from me." Right. And that guy's like, "Nah, we're not buying ships." And they just put puts all the money into their own province and he's yeah. just like, and, "I'm just going to make sure I succeed and get my money." And the game is so cynical because you can promote people to govern uh, to become governors of regions. And when you're governor, there's a tax action. And with the tax action per province, it's different. But you can make sure the tax money doesn't make it. <laughs> and it suddenly just goes uh. right in your hand. And it's up, and it's embezzling it because you could use that money for other things. But generally speaking, it, generally speaking, it's all up to you. It's up to the company. It's up to what everyone thinks should be done. And for the most part, you, you're just you're balancing just looting India (laughs) hand over fist here's one of my favorite stories from the game so this one guy was in charge for the round and he said okay I'll make you governor but I really want this area to be prosperous in order to prosper make an area prosperous you just need to roll one dollar per die you gotta invest in it and you gotta invest in it and then everything becomes worth more Uh and the guy had like a lot of people invested in it Uh, so the guy said sure I'll do that and then it came to the thing instead he just took those two (laughs) dollars And he uh, raided another area and made himself a bunch of money and just threw the money out. Yeah. And that's John Company right that's there. John that's Company. in a nutshell. Yeah. So uh, it was a little clumsy because we all didn't really know what we were doing. The value of promises and the value of putting mm-hmm. people in X place is always like it's the first game. You never really know what is, ex- especially in a very social game. Um, very refreshing gameplay, though. Extremely as far refreshing. as mechanics go, like 
I haven't played anything. But like Cole, it. it reaffirms that Cole Worley is Brilliant. probably the designer right now. And in, like we we love our Rosenbergs. We sometimes like our uh, Stegmeyers and or whatever <laughs> yeah. however you pronounce his last name. But there's there are a lot of great designers out there. But I think Worley is just consistently he's at the top of his game. At the top of his game, everything he's been heavy, doing. But... Yeah, it, it makes Root like, seem bit basic. Kind of sounds like the game that you would really enjoy playing with the same group of people once a week. Yes, absolutely. What is this? Are we, are we being it's some, somebody's trying to get into the door, so huh. <laughs> it's the axe maniac that uh, <laughs> ah, I was pushing. Leave us alone. There's actually nobody there, so I think it's a ghost. Yeah, we're fine. So anyway, John Company, look it up. It's out of print right now. Uh, don't pay too much for it because it's coming back in print later, um, I think, via Kickstarter. So plug your nose and <laughs> hop in on it, maybe. Now, a quick uh, PSA. I think PAX Premier, I got an email saying that it might be getting a retail release, mm. which uh, was never intended to happen. But I think maybe there was enough demand or maybe they're going to partner with somebody for it. So uh, don't pay scalper prices for a copy of PAX Premier 2nd Edition if you don't have to. Because I think you might be able to get a copy. So that's that. Um, before we go to musical break, I think we want to do a quick chat about Imperial. Sure. Which is another game that we got to play that I've had on my list for a long time. And I'll just do a quick rundown on it. It is by Mac Goetz, same fellow who designed Concordia and several other games. Um, it looks like Concordia First Edition. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> see Concordia in the map. Um, and even some of the pieces look sort of similar to it as well. But it, it has a very, it, it felt like Risk kind of meets Diplomacy meets a stock game, kind of smashed together and seeing what happens. Because the premise is that each player represents um, ostensibly a Swiss banker or uh, a bank of some sort that is funding countries so that they can go to war against other countries. And you don't care about any of these countries personally. It, you just care about your investments. You care about your investments, <laughs> and that's where it comes in. And you have the stock auction, uh, stock side of the game where every country has shares available at the time, and you spend your money to buy these shares. And if you have the most shares in a country, you get to make its decisions for it. And proceed onward. It's got a rondelle of decision-making, which is very popular with uh, the Gertz design, which is maybe that's why Concordia got so popular because it ditched the rondelle, but mm. I don't know. Um, and you make different decisions, and you're trying to extract wealth uh, via taxation. You're trying to improve the country via factories and other things, and you want to try to make sure that your opponents aren't getting too far ahead of themselves or getting too wealthy, which was the mistake we made. But yeah. what were your thoughts on Imperial, Joel? Um, I thought it was uh, it's, it's kind of like a mix of games, which obviously Concordia is too. It's But it, I guess it was kind of like half an 18xx because you get the whole stock trading thing where whoever gets the most starts doing the things and then you've got the other half which was kind of a almost like diplomacy uh esque because you have very small amount of units and you're sending those units out and if you send units into the same unit as someone with another unit you both just take a unit off so there's no okay. dice rolling or anything in order to to control an area that someone else controls. You just send it's two units advantage. in yep. and take one away. Um, and in doing so, every area you control outside of your homeland, you get a flag. And then when you cash in, which is taxation on the rondelle, um, you get money. And your well, your country gets money, and if you've improved the station of your country, you take your cut. Then you get the difference from yeah. when it was to there. So, like, if it goes from an eight to an eleven, yeah, okay. you get three dollars. So you are investing in countries, and the largest investor controls them, and you're waging war against other countries for which people have invested. Yes, kind of. But okay. What cool. ended up happening in our game was that one guy ended up controlling three countries, uh, two of which were England and France, right next to each other. So he basically just did whatever he wanted. Wanted and got way ahead of everybody else. Too okay, much so money. Uh, I'll say that, taxing like, them. Yeah, cool. tax the hell out of them. My experience in the game was a poor uh, reflection of what the game has to offer, but it was a bad experience. Well, because what happens is there's 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 no player elimination directly, but you can be knocked out, which is that you aren't controlling any countries. Everyone starts off controlling a country. Uh, if you have a country bought out from underneath you, which is very possible, and the game encourages you to do, suddenly you become a Swiss banker, and you take this token, and what happens is, normally what happen, uh, when the, you're going around this rondelle, uh, there's an area called investment, and you can stop there, and a formal uh, stock purchasing round kind of occurs, and whoever has this token that, which moves around the table is allowed to buy stocks. 
and that's when usually the big move happens. You spend your cash. You only and, get to buy stocks once yeah, per five yes. rounds of something going there, which is pretty so common. So if you're a Swiss banker, though, every time somebody triggers the investment phase, and you can make them stop there because you can move further on the rondel if you want, but you can right. say, no, nah, stop, stop, yeah, stop. Yeah. Uh, you can participate in the stock buying phase. So you think that's a great advantage. Problem is that typically you're broke if you're a yeah. Swiss banker. No, and so all you can't the sh- make a big play. You can't make a big play. So you have and more you opportunities. So you're just kind of sitting there hoping that maybe you can grab some crumbs from somebody else and may- squirm your way up. But usually at that point, and even though our experience or the people who are playing said the guy – um, Michael again apparently has won the game twice as a st- uh, Swiss banker, but I think he had enough of a leg up before he became yeah. it, and right. he was able to really re-enter the game, re-enter the game yeah. right on his terms and really play around with it. But Joel and I were doing poorly, and it was just more of this. Oh yeah. man! <laughs> and you can also picture Harry like I started the game with two countries, but like very small stocks, and then and almost immediately lost both of them. <laughs> right, you're so, so easy to buy. Out. Great, I'm the Swiss banker. I have this opportunity to buy every time someone invests. But I have no money, yep. and I don't get to control the country. So can you can just imagine how boring it is to watch everybody else make decisions and move <laughs> ships around and fight and start wars and alliances and break those and alliances. And tax and make and money. For sure. Doing all these interesting things while you sit here waiting for the investment phase. <laughs> and when yeah, the investment like $5. phase comes, <laughs> yeah. you may or may not be able to buy one. And that was day. painful. Yeah, and that's definitely rough. what happens. Without, it's interesting they provide you a mechanic to get back into the game, but... Half yeah. the time you can't utilize it. It's borderline player player elimination. Mm-hmm. It's like you can still normally stay here and and buy things <clears> and <throat> hopefully you'll get back in the game. I don't think every game somebody's gonna control half of the countries no. on the map, no. right? This is just the way it ended up. And it's also we we were new to the game, and I think it, 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 for us it's player elimination to get <laughs> pushed into <laughs> the Swiss banker. If you know what you're doing you maybe can look at this and read the plays differently and maybe you weren't spending money like a dummy right. every time. It's bad player elimination. <laughs> That's yeah. it. It was poor player elimination. <laughs> but anyway, by the, end, by the end of the game, there's like this, uh, every time you do tax, the, the thing goes up on a track and it gets into different multipliers and you're trying to get it to the last multiplier, which I think is four times. And then you get like the number of investment card times that number in <clears throat> millions of dollars per share is that you have the most millions okay. of dollars wins i see so you're trying to tax a lot yeah. the more well, times you tax them it's a the time around the, the game because you get money and it also makes your country the right. shares that you have in that country better so yeah. unless it, you tax and then you lose that country in true case. and thanks for <laughs> thanks sucker <laughs> anyway that was imperial we had we both had mixed opinions on it i think it's a neat game but it's definitely something that you need to Maybe have a player to <laughs> to figure this one out because it's, it's a lot older too. It's it, it it's fe- clunky. felt like clunky the, compared to John. Company. I will say that the the military aspect of it is very clunky. Well, it's just meant to be as basic as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, musical break. We'll be back in a second.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM, Android's Dungeon, which you just heard was Sick by Chelsea Wolf from the album Pain is Beauty. <laughs> as, as gothy and metally as it sounds. I'm on a kick recently. She just has a new album out. Um, I forget what it's called. Uh, something as equally as gothy. <laughs> She's always on the cover, too, doing something gothy. <laughs> so whatever. Some people think sunshine and puppies are beautiful. <laughs> Some people are just... <sighs> Life is suffering. Life is suffering. It's a very Buddhist uh, take on things. But anyway, um, when we left, we were talking about John Company and Imperial. And now that we're coming into the second part of the show, the the dying moments of it, um, I'd like to do two things. I want to do a brief D&D rundown from our uh, illustrious DM here, Joel, Mm. because we've played a couple games so far. And we're going to do, I want a brief overview. And then I want to finish with having a, a quick chat with Harry about uh, a certain Space Biff fellow. Because I know, I, apparently there's some beef. <laughs> and I want to I wanna air it on the air. Air it. Air it. Okay, um, well, how about I just tell the story? But I'm going to try to do this without giving anything away that I haven't already told you guys. Okay, so you arrived, you returned to Muran, the city uh, in sort of like south of south of where everybody else plays in Ferun, and you, uh, you're kind of classic characters from a previous campaign, except for uh, obviously you, you Donald. <laughs> I'm a new classic character. Donald, not Trump, <laughs> Donald Kalen, who <laughs> we just kind of plugged in because <laughs> I didn't expect it, but... It, it, it went well. I think I think you're kind of naturally. So he's uh, basically like a wealthy heir to to an aristocratic family. Flag is um, Jack's character. Flag is a rogue who's just trying trying to be a good criminal. <laughs> just trying to make trying it. And failing. We, oh, we've wait, got what? <laughs> a very studious wizard who's made her way up into the upper echelons of the, his uh, way. His, his way. way. Yeah. <laughs> Because he's a he's a wood elf, and <laughs> that's my excuse every time I get it wrong. So wood elves are very pretty. very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got a a paladin, a southern country girl <laughs> who showed up from the north <laughs> with an a natural AC of twenty, <laughs> yeah, and an int score that is shameful. Is it only negative one though? For... Yeah, it was like eight or something. Yeah, it's still not. It's, it's it's absurd. Classic dump stat. Yeah. There's this uh, like eighth or ninth level spell that I was looking up today called Feeble Mind, and you just you cast it on someone. It's like obviously you got to be like level <clears> twenty to do it, uh, but you change their int and uh, wisdom to one, oh. and then they're just they're basically a vegetable. So if they... If you hit one in uh, in a stat, is it like crippling? Like all of a sudden you can't do stuff anymore? Or? Yeah, it, it does go on a list of like things that you're not able to do. But okay. basically, you're you're dumber than like the dumbest animal. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they also give you like flavor. Yeah, implications of that, like you know, yeah, just so you know, this you is exactly one... how weak you are. If you have like four strength, <laughs> and then I think it's like every thirty days you can roll to try to stick it out of the spell. Yeah, that that sounds mean. Yeah, that's nasty. Anyway, let's go on. So the story is uh, you arrived and you found that there was a city council running the city. Uh, they sent you off on an adventure to kill some pirates who had taken over a section of the slums. You guys did that with impunity. Uh, you discovered that there was a threat threatening the shipping routes. And so you decided to go out on the ship and guard the shipping route. And you And you've done so. So, just for people who obviously are not playing this campaign, we, there was some. We all got roles on this ship too, and <clears throat> I was the navigator, which mostly involved rolling a dice. <laughs> oh, it's going great, <laughs> and and just being like, <laughs> yeah, things are fine. <laughs> and Harry was the bosun, yeah, was and he would bosun, just do. Which mostly you guys involved are both terrible. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> but the bosun involved mostly not doing my job. <laughs> And then finding a way to get away with it. I think that one of the... we really liked. I was in charge of sail repair, which uh, went poorly. One of the highlights of, I think, our last session was uh, uh, Donnie uh, wisely understood his limitation in sail repair. (laughs) So we hired a bunch of people to do it. (laughs) And they did such a terrible job. (laughs) And then he immediately went went invisible to leave. But the other time he bribed them not to tell anybody. <laughs> so two times he just left. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it never happened. And then we were attacked by a bunch of uh, 
Are they fish people? I'm not totally sure. Uh, the Sawagin were sea elves that sea elves. were turned into monsters by a evil god. Oh, okay. It, yeah, do they look like sharks? Or No, they look kind of like uh, tritons, I guess, but... Oh, okay. uh, they worship sharks, but they worship mm. sh- they worship a giant eleven meter shark. <laughs> that's that's big. I mean, I've seen bigger. It's big deal. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. All right. It's so the cool. The Meg. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on how the campaign's going so far? I'm very happy. Like, I I really think that like it makes me. I'm really. It's really gratifying to see people talking in the chat, especially midweek. Uh, making jokes about their characters and all the things that have happened. Like, it's 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 good. It's a good sign when there's no, like, silence there where people are just like, oh, do I have to do this again next time? <laughs> silence Sunday? is not your you friend. Uh, but it is wrapping up, and I'm excited to see. There's basically, like, yeah, well, there's good things to come. How many sessions do you think you have left? So the plan is to have two more, but I don't think we're going to make it. If if you guys are okay with it, we might need to do three. Yeah. I'll play any amount of this campaign. It's great. Wow. <laughs> wow that's, that's the other thing is like a lot of things are kind of uh, could turn into other campaigns, but uh, I don't want to just plunder the parts that I don't that get yet. used. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a sign of a good setting. Like you just have a lot of leads. You know yeah. what I mean? The story leads that you can pursue. For, for sure. example, your god is missing. Right. Exactly. Oh, I forgot all about that. Mm. <laughs> Harry's has this great flair for his. What's the spell with the cherubs? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it's like guardian spirits. Guardian spirits. My, my, I'm a cleric who worships the god of, like, coin or trade or <laughs> yeah. wealth. Joaquin Phoenix. And, uh, you well, have that's to, right, yeah. You got to add a little kind of flavor injection into your spells by uh, kind of describing what the effects look like. And in this case, it's small guardian angels, little cherubic angels, mm-hmm. whacking people over the head with bags of money. <laughs> I, I, there's something about that image that I find just completely hilarious. It's, it's incredibly one. effective. And we're talking a lot of them, too. Yeah. Just a swarm. So are they, do they have hilariously oversized sacks, or do they just have tiny sacks? It's like, like a swarm of wasps hitting you with money. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're tiny cherubs with oversized sacks, for sure. <laughs> so yeah. It's great. I like they're it. They're very strong. So I'll ask you guys this, because um, it briefly came up in a side conversation at D&D uh, involving someone else in another campaign. But do you guys find it difficult, or where, where do you draw the line as far as descriptiveness and over-describing what mm-hmm. an action is? Do you do you think it's best used sparingly, or do you think it's something that is a real kind of artistic skill and feeling out the the mood of the room to, like, not every attack needs some sort of flavor with it, or what do you guys think? I guess, like, the classic example is, like, if you kill someone, then the DM would describe, you know, how your attack kind of kills them or interacts with them, mm-hmm. yeah. for sure. I would like to see like the whole group take over more description. Yeah, it's always it's always hard. Like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask anybody in this party to do a voice or anything crazy like that. But like, uh, I think if I could if I if I could come up with some kind of cue where it'd be like, hey, all right, you kill him. How do you kill him? Mm-hmm. And then they just wing it. Maybe they get like a favorite kill move. You know, right? That's a good point. Like that. I, I mean, when when the DM describes how your character does something, you're losing the opportunity mm, losing for role agency, playing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I think that's really interesting. If the DM's like, oh, what does it look like? Well, yeah. Why not just do that in the future then? So you could say something like fatal damage. What happens? And yeah. just to go down. I think sure. some some famous DMs have like a special phrase. Like I think uh, Matt, Matt Mercer says, "Okay, how do you want to do this?" <laughs> And then that's they know, and then they all cheer because they know they succeeded, yeah, and then they yeah. go on with the description. Oh, so you're saying like somebody does something, and then yeah, like, like there's they, a pause, they tell and what he'll the damages, and he's like, "How do you want to do this?" And they're like, "Oh, we did it!" <laughs> I love it. I love it. Pause or whatever, right? <laughs> nice. That's great. So maybe I'll come up with something <clears> like that. All right, excellent. So we've got a session tonight. We'll see how it goes. I imagine it'll be perfectly fun and fine, and better than the last one even. Yeah, How's that possible? It. So yeah. All right, great. So uh, not much time left. Um, early today, I sent a link to Joel, which was uh, a review of a game called Tapestry, which nobody has played it. Nobody <laughs> will play for yeah, a long time. Talking about it. But it's number one on Board Game Geek, Still at least the hotness. Yeah, uh, and it's been number one on the hotness for impossible amount of time <laughs> for a game that nobody's played for the most part. Is it out in the states? Can you get it anywhere? Or are these all just review copies that people are playing? So the images from this review that we read yeah. looked like review copies. And that's what I'm hoping they are, because I, I was telling Joel how much I hate the models, the pictures they're using in these things, because part of the tapestry 
is you have 3D models you're kind of placing on a grid somewhere. And everything I've seen up to this point has made me feel disgusted. That's a good point. I hope they're review copies because they looked like hand-painted um, kind of testing or review copies. Yeah. If they look like that in production, I'll be very disappointed. And they, they I don't know. All I see are dollars and cents mm-hmm. when I see stuff like that. But anyway, the person who did this review is, is you can see him all over the place on Board Game Geek. And if I'm interested in a game I, and I see a Space Biff review, I click on it in two seconds because I really like um, his work. And generally speaking, it's thorough, it's entertaining, and the dude has played enough games to actually weigh in on what he likes. Harry has some notes has some notes about this particular review because I sent it to Joel and because I've been on the fence everything I've been reading about tapestry is making me more and more nervous as time goes on and this one kind of was making because it starts off very positive and then gets to the end and he's very upset sure Joel sent this to Harry and then I got a message back saying Harry hates it (laughs) (laughs) Harry I, I mean I found the review really interesting yeah he definitely had some he started off by describing the game in kind of vague but glowing terms saying that it, it's a pretty good which is a shut up and sit down civilization <laughs> yeah, game yeah. and then he said and then in like you know a classic dramatic sentence yeah. except for tapestries which are like a mechanic in this game yeah. that adds some 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 new elements to the game and yeah. he had a lot of issues with that my i i still am concerned about <clears throat> tapestry like a, he he raised a lot of good points in his review i can do the same thing that he did um, thematic issues. He worried about thematic issues for sure, which, I mean, are, are interesting. Like he, uh, in the specific example in the review, he mentioned that they, uh, his civilization developed vaccines before they, you know, were like smelting metal. Wheel, yeah. Which yeah. we've heard variations on through different for sure. reviews. I mean, I find that he also, also takes care to mention that it might be interesting for that to happen, right? Like, who's to say that civilization has to happen on like yeah. a linear technology track but um for sure that's kind of interesting he, al- he also worried about he kind of thought the game might be arbitrary which is one of my biggest one of the biggest things that I, I dislike about games where you have game actions the game is engaging you take actions but the result of the game the outcome or the things that happen to you within each kind of turn or round of the game they're not based on what you've done or what other people have done predetermined yeah it's it's Candyland effect. Exactly. Or or you know, there's other there's a lot of other games that kind of suffer from this where you think you have are pursuing a strategy and, and you you kind of at the end of the game or at the end of the round it, it didn't pan out and you look back and you say what went wrong and it's you're not sure. Well, which was and just to interrupt you for a second there. Tom Vassell, I linked the review of Tapestry to Joel as well and Vassell said more or less the same thing where he said he played a game and he looked back and he said, I couldn't have done it any differently than what I did, but I still lost. Yeah, and that's what bugged him about the, uh, the interaction. He sure. changed a single thing. Now, yeah. I don't know about this reviewer specifically, but if you wanted to take a cynical view, it kind of reads like the reviewer doesn't like games with player interaction. <laughs> because one of his big complaints was that the effects on him were too, too, too much related to what other players are doing. And that's like... Even though he came out ahead in this particular example, yeah, right. although and, to be fair, he loves Sidereal Confluence, which is all player interaction. Right, but... exactly, and it's like it feels like player actions should have an impact on how the game plays for you yeah. and on the end result of the game, which was interesting. He also complained that uh, he felt like the game was aimless, like didn't didn't have a specific kind of you weren't working towards a specific there was strategy. No final, uh... For sure, but the tapestry cards which he complained about they give you objectives yeah i would like to see uh the game i think think we need (laughs) to do this too uh people following that kind of model that we talked about a little bit where it's like here are all the elements of a game you want to know about what do you think of each of those (laughs) look at me he's got it written down (laughs) just keep forgetting to talk about it (laughs) anyway again this is all thank you harry by the way and this is all just preliminary stuff. Neither of us, none of us have seen total this game. Conjecture. <laughs> total, total conjecture, which is the best part. It's we just... could end up spending six months talking about all the tapestry we're playing. <laughs> I don't know. I, this one, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But anyway, thank you for listening. I'm Jack. I'm Joel. And I'm Harry. Thank you. Support the station. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram and podcasts and all the hippity hum, the hoppity, whatever kids are listening to. CFRU 933. Stay tuned. Goodbye.
You're listening to CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph. EdVideo is Guelph's hub for creation of video art, film, and documentaries. Get started in production or advance your existing skills. Find creative challenges and develop a network of collaborators through our year-round series of workshops and educational programs. We offer hands-on training with video production technology, as well as opportunities to learn from staff and industry professionals. Apply your skills with access to professional quality equipment in an inclusive, fun environment. Learn, create, and display your work through EdVideo. Become a member by visiting our partially accessible location at 404 York Road or visit edvideo.org. No bumps on this ride, let it glide. With Planet Groove and your funky blues doctor serving you up an audio buffet every Friday at 10 a.m. of blues, rock, funk, and more on CFRU 93.3 FM, baby. Did you know CFRU has a YouTube channel? Check us out by searching CFRU 93.3 FM, where we post all of our live in-studio performances and interviews, featuring our green screen dream machine, set up in CFRU's vinyl library. The green screen dream machine